Everybody seen out here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that'll probably be converted into a Marvel movie one day. Today on the show, I want to talk about secondary payoffs and um, really talking about secondary gains, secondary gains, secondary payoffs. This is a um, psychological sort of term and understanding of helping us understand the sometimes what we have to unconsciously we are avoiding uh, making changes because we feel like staying where we are has benefits and leaving has losses. So we'll talk about that today on Dopamine. Let's hit the button and do the thing. Let's go. Drums, Hello friends, C-Note here, Christian Rivera, digital producer, and uh, personality coach, I guess. I don't know. I'm still working on the title. Always working on the title. <laughs> um, but I talk about uh, mental health and creativity and personality typology on this show. So welcome back. If you are a longtime listener, I appreciate that. Thanks for being here. Thanks for always coming back and listening to this show. Uh I'm excited to talk about this topic because I did not find too many resources on it, though the one that I did find was pretty incredible and is basically the basis for this entire episode. It was from mentalhelp.net. I haven't looked at their website beyond this article, so I don't know the validity and if it's good, (laughs) but I know the concept is sound and I've heard the concept somewhere else. I actually heard it from my friend Antonia Dodge of Personality Hacker in profiler coaching, but, uh, and I'll, I'm going to reference a point where she actually was referencing this in regards to, uh, me and my life at some point. So that's kind of interesting and something I didn't really connect the dots until I wrote the script for this episode. So, and strangely, yes, there is kind of a script for this episode because this is something I did a little research on. So I wanted to make sure I got it right. So this intro is, you know, I'm winging it a little bit, but uh, but but essentially, I want to talk about secondary payoffs, uh, what it is, what it means, and what secondary losses are, and how we can really uh, understand this as something that I want to look further into for myself now, now that I know what this is, and um, really think about some of the ways that I might be holding myself down. And maybe this is something you can think about for how you might be holding yourself back, because in, a, in, an, in its essence... Well, what is, what is a secondary payoff or secondary gain? Uh, in short, it is a positive side effect of a negative or unhealthy behavior. So persisting in difficult or toxic behavior due to the perceived positive response in the form of attention that we receive. So when we were less likely to give up uh, on bad behavior, often unconsciously, because we're being rewarded for our bad behavior in some semblance of form. And doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be bad behavior, I should say, but it's maybe mental illness or difficulty or um, 
making any kind of a change because you feel like you're getting some sort of intrinsic secondary reward for what, for the place that you're in now and that there are perceived losses for changing that, um, may not actually stack up to what the actual losses will be. So there's a bit of dissonance going on within this as well. So it's important to point out that this is unconscious because we are human, we're fallible, and simply because we are aware of consciousness does not mean that we have full control of every desire and interaction. So this shows up psychologically in patients quite a bit, making it more difficult to seek treatment and want to improve because with conscious improvement, all they see is difficulty and pain, the removal of the reward that they're already getting. So if you think about like sugar, for example, or cigarettes or alcohol, there are obvious consequences for uh, using and abusing these things, yet we further the use of these things because they feel good on some level, right? It's pretty obvious that these things are not good for us. So we get the immediate sugar rush and satisfying sweetness of sugar at the expense of our health in, in the long term or our teeth or, you know, whatever, all the things that we've been said that been told that sugar is bad for, you know, all this, this sugar that is not really supposed to be, uh, that is not natural for us. And the same for cigarettes and the perception of reducing stress in the moment. I mean, many people are already like, oh, that's disgusting. But as I've never smoked a cigarette, but as far as I know, people who are smoking cigarettes, it's for stress relief. And, uh, that's an example of they get that immediate stress relief, but, their health is expensive it and they actually, you know, have to pay for cigarettes, which is like a $75 a week for a lot of people. That's a lot of money a week to be spending on uh, stress reduction, where if you did a lot of heavy work in the long term to reduce your stress overall and do some, you know, go to therapy and work on that stuff, you could still do all of that stuff with, uh, with a therapist and go through all of that trouble. But in the moment, it seems like, you know, we want the easy solution, which is going to be a cigarette in, in that moment. And the same for alcohol, which is often used as a, um, you know, a, a, uh, what did I, what? Oh, I wrote that weird. Okay. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, a, you know, party lubricator and some sort of distraction from stress, right? Or de-stressor. Uh, I wrote de-stressor and it auto-corrected to destroyed. And I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. Alcohol is often used as a destroyed. Why would I write that? <laughs> Alcohol is often used as a de-stressor or party lubricant for social interactions, but it's uh, effectively poison for our bodies uh, that we've made legal because a lot of people complained about it and they just want legal poison, right? And I'm not demonizing alcohol myself. I've drank, I drank a lot in my day and uh, I might even have a beer tonight, but I drink sometimes, um, but really like far less and less as I go on. And um, every once in a while we get like super loud trucks or something that go by and it's like mostly quiet most of the time. And then out of nowhere, it's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, giving up on these behaviors creates a feeling unconsciously of a secondary loss. So that becoming well with, uh, will come with trade off, will, will, will come with trade offs that you are, you know, not happy to make. You may believe that, uh, you're expected to give more than you'd like to. You may fear, you may have a fear of being seen as elitist by improving yourself. Maybe you fear others may not approve of you functioning well and growing, other, you know, perhaps you've socially bonded over, um, 
your behaviors or illnesses and uh, changing will seem to make life more difficult. And more importantly, improving will mean less attention, special attention to your needs. You know, there's, there are certainly some cases where like couples get together over shared trauma of some kind or sharing mental illnesses and stuff. And I constantly worry about that with myself and Molly. Like we have some shared mental illness stuff, not the same, but she's experienced some depression and I've, you know, we, we have, um, we have empathy for each other's stories. So that's stuff I always check in with. It's like, Oh, is, is this something, am I fearing that, uh, my improvement in my mental health is going to harm our relationship? That's a very real fear that a lot of people might have is that you could have an intimate relationship or a family relationship or anything like that, that, you know, improving yourself, getting better, you know, not feeling, not experiencing as much stress or, um, you know, going to therapy or seeking medication is going to make you quote unquote better or different. And you won't be able to have the same relationship that you had before, or that's going to pull you apart from people. So you don't seek help because you see, or you feel that the loss is going to be greater than the gain in that, if that makes sense. So, you know, this is the point where I, I kind of share that my friend Antonia, Antonia Dodge of Personality Hacker, said to me once at uh, the live profiling training event to not focus so much on the mental illness side of myself. Not that I shouldn't take care of myself, but that I, I shouldn't speak about it or, or that I shouldn't speak about it ever again. But I think she knew that it was very easy for me to use mental illness as something to lean on as a means to avoid growth. And, um, that, that by having this podcast, which is focused on mental illness, that growing from my mental health would mean I no longer have reason to have the show or to keep doing this. Right. Or, or it would like kind of mess with my path. And, and truth is I do feel like I've started receiving more love from family and friends after I've shared more of my mental health story. And often even recently I've gotten, uh, some work because I was able to share kind of like the struggles of what's going on you know, and kind of turn yourself into a charity case in a way. And I, I did fear that I would run out of things to say or would have less reason to have the show or that I don't identify with every aspect of my illness as my entire identity that I would, that if I didn't rather identify with my, every aspect of my mental illness as my entire identity, that I would no longer have an excuse to, to work with, to have, right. To set certain boundaries and, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to get out of work or, you know, to give myself excuses to not push or work as hard as I would really like to. Right. So it's, it's been a challenge. It's for me, it's been this kind of ebb and flow of like wanting to push myself a little bit without actually harming my mental illness and making things worse, you know, but not necessarily letting my mental illness run the show. Right. I'm always trying to get better and I want to be better. Right. So I think she was absolutely right. And ironically, her mentioning secondary payoffs and on her profile of coaching was the inspiration for this episode. So thank you, Antonia. I really appreciate that. Um, it's really given me a lot more to think about. It's something that is um, this kind of new emerging thought for me that I want to, I kind of want to make lists, you know, I want to make lists of um, what might be secondary gains and might be secondary losses for my mental illness or not getting job or some things that I'm kind of perpetuating as, um, sort of things that could be perceived as negative behaviors or actually are negative behaviors in terms of maybe not getting a job, which is like the really kind of the big thing right now. And, um, 
all of the things that come with that stuff. So I, I want to make active lists of those things and kind of like, I don't know, pull myself out of my rut or figure out uh, where I want to go next with this sort of stuff. Right. So if you were uh, a therapist, you would potentially ask the client's unconscious slash higher self that um, the following questions concerning secondary gains. Um, and this is something you can ask yourself is that, um, you know, the great, you can ask yourself the greatest advantage for having this difficulty is dot, 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 and quote unquote, other things gained by this difficulty are dot, 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 right? So be, make the unconscious conscious asking questions of yourself to say like, okay, so I have mental, I have a mental illness and often we don't really ask ourselves what are the positives of having a mental illness, right? What are the greatest advantages of this? And, you know, some of those advantages could be saying to yourself that uh, you get more attention as a result of it, or you get more pity, right? Or, or you know, pity might not be the best word, but it could be the word for it, right? You just get some sort of uh, special attention and you might not need to work as hard. You might be able to use more excuses, for example, you know, uh, and, and that feels good to be able to do that, <laughs> you know, to not have to work as much. Uh, especially if you're getting some sort of government assistance or something like that could be like, well, if the government knew that I was okay or they, they perceived me to be okay, or if I speak, perceived myself to get better, then I would not have that assistance anymore or something like that. Right. Not saying that's actually a thing, but you know, that's just an example of what that could look like. Right. So similarly, the unconscious slash higher self of the client can be asked the move, the following questions concerning secondary losses, uh, quote unquote, the greatest disadvantage for giving up this difficulty is, and other things I might lose by giving up this difficulty are dot, 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 right? So you can see how this feeling of secondary payoff perpetuates cognitive dissonance. We may have core values that are being violated in the process of keeping this narrative going, even about innocent things like sugar. So it's a good idea to ask yourself what you consider to be wrong or bad and check in with yourself to see if these secondary payoffs are skirting past your personal values and codes. So asking yourself about uh, the greatest advantage and the greatest disadvantage of having um, this mental illness or being in the stage of life or being stuck in a certain situation is what is the advantage and what is the disadvantage? Again, what is the disadvantage could be something as simple as like, it would be hard to leave, or it would be hard to change, or it would be very difficult to uh, stay on a schedule of taking meds, <laughs> or, um, you know, I might not be able to have as many conversations with my friends who are also suffering with the same thing. And because I'm doing better, they might perceive me as elitist because I'm, I'm okay. And, you know, a lot of friends end up commiserating over negativity and not being well, right? And that can hold each other down. So if you're actively trying to improve yourself, you could put yourself in social jeopardy and that could be perceived as a disadvantage that you might not be aware of. So it's really important to ask yourself that question, what the greatest advantage for giving up that difficulty is. So now I'm making it sound as if you can fix yourself in that sense, but it all depends on whether you exhibit or have ego strength, social system support or, or social support system and uh, cognitive behavioral adaptability among other factors. So if you feel like you're having difficulty with being honest with yourself about secondary behaviors, then you can most definitely speak to a therapist about working through some of these problems. So we're going to take a quick break 
And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the benefits that are listed on mentalhelp.net of uh, some of the benefits of suffering from secondary gains associated with illness. And then some of the uh, a list of losses that someone might feel uh, associated with making big changes in their life. So let's click the button and uh, take a quick break. All right, welcome back. So I think this is a really important topic because this is not something I've heard many people talking about um, in sort of the general mental health circles, meaning there's like a lot of YouTube channels. There's a lot of people who are sort of, um, there's like sort of like the public sphere of mental health. And then there's like, uh, scientists and therapists and all of that stuff who are on the clinical circles. And sometimes clinicians can kind of be so focused talking to each other that this knowledge needs to get out into the real world. So this is really why I do this show and why I'm talking about this topic, because I think it's really incredible for us to be able to at least think about and something to consider. And if you are seeing a therapist, something you can talk to your therapist about, right? Like you're a person, you're uh, most likely dealing with some sort of high functioning something if you're able to listen to this podcast and, and you know, not run out a window and, and deal with that stuff. So, <laughs> um, so you have some degree of self-assessment and you're trying to learn some semblance of self-growth in, in this process too. So you can take a lot of this information and really think about it. Like I've, I've never thought about this to this point. Like, oh, you know, what are the, some of the what are some of the things that I feel like I would lose by getting better? Right? Because there's always some sort of trade off. You know, I mean, the obvious example for me is that I attempted to improve my life by moving here from San Diego, and I had to leave San Diego. And in an attempt to improve my mental health and to improve my situation, that meant I had to get a divorce, that meant I had to leave San Diego, that meant I had to quit my job, I had to leave my kid, I had to leave sunny San Diego, I had to leave the fish tacos behind and, you know, leave uh, all the smiling people behind because that's one of the things I definitely miss about San Diego is going to a coffee shop and seeing more smiling people because the East Coast does not have as many smiling people. <laughs> it just doesn't. And, you know, I miss that for sure. So, I mean, I had to make that trade-off, but ultimately in the end, I am feeling so much better generally. I'm struggling financially and I'm having all sorts of issues, but in, in, in that regard, but I've had a lot of time to work on my personal growth. I've learned a ton about Myers-Briggs. I'm writing a couple of book ideas. I have made a 311 episodes of this podcast. I have the greatest love I've ever experienced in my life. Just a wonderful, intuitive person that I can have really amazing conversations with and experience nerdy things and just really enjoy my life. It's unfortunately come with some challenges and sacrifices, but it does not mean that I can't fix that eventually, right? So sometimes losses are temporary losses. So it may not be inaccurate that you think that there's an actual loss involved, but it may not mean that that loss is permanent, right? It's And that you'll never have access to that thing again. So that's just my personal sort of talking about that. But I want to share some of the benefits um, that someone may feel that they are 
the, some of the benefits that they feel from suffering of secondary gains associated with the illness. So suffering from secondary gains, meaning that you're suffering, you're not growing and you're assuming that by not growing, you're still gaining something from that. So this is a list of like 25 things. So we're going to kind of go through this, um, you know, kind of quickly, but I'll stop in comments when I can. So number one, uh, a feeling of false power, false sense of power and control. So feeling like you're in control of your destiny because you're making a choice to not get better and feeling that sense of control and power. Because if you have to get better, you're going to have to face new things and facing new things means you might feel powerless or out of control or vulnerable. And that's real flipping scary, right? Um, false self, uh, false, uh, let's see, uh, let's see, self being built up by knocking another self down. Example, domination, aggression, acting out and passive aggressive, uh, stratagems so, or stratagems. I don't know. That's a weird word. <laughs> I've never said stratagems before, but, um, yeah, uh, building yourself up by knocking another self down. So, you know, being aggressive towards, I'm great. You suck. That kind of thing. Um, number three is, um, uh, perpetuating selfishness and greed, uh, laziness and resignation, oneself to helplessness, playing the victim essentially, and being lazy and kind of letting life happen to you. Um, number five, negative attention, thinking oneself invisible, useless, or valueless. Uh, number six, negative acting out unrealistic fears or phobias and anxieties, including being alone, unloved, unwanted, rejected, not good enough, worthless, undeserving, disliked, and stupid. And in a sense, this is like saying like, see, I told you, I told you I'm the worst. I told you life sucks. I told you I'm going to be alone forever. I told you I'm not lovable. I'm told you I'm unwanted. I'm told you, told you I'm not good enough. I'm just perpetuating that, right? You get this sort of self-inflation of being correct in that sense. Um, number seven, self-hatred and attacking oneself or another modeling unaccepted qualities. Number eight, punishing oneself or another or setting up and even inviting another to punish you or punish them to obtain relief from real or imagined guilt or shame. Imagined guilt or shame is pretty important to think about there too. So inviting other people to sort of pummel on you uh, psychologically, you know, opening yourself up to toxic behavior, which we talked about in the last episode about um, why toxic people are so interesting. And this could be a situation if you're not assessing yourself in your moments where you could possibly grow, you're going to open yourself up to by, by not being vulnerable and growing, you're making yourself vulnerable by potentially allowing people in your life that could completely destroy it. Uh, number nine, to denigrate, uh, to degrade oneself, another life or, uh, or God as a recreation of abusive trauma, neglect, willful cruelty, de degradation, and humiliation. Uh, I don't know what I mean by God there in that instance, but, um, uh, to degrade oneself, another life as uh, a recreation of abusive trauma, neglect, willful cruelty, degradation, and humiliation. So just allowing yourself to do all sorts of bad things to yourself because, or others, because you've experienced them in the past. Misguided attachments, i.e. have tos tied to pleasing someone's performance standard and, and obtaining love or to avoid displeasing someone's performance standard and losing love. So making sure to, to keep a love alive, even though it's maybe not the most healthy love or attaching, uh, feeling like you have to stick around, that you have to be this kind of person for this person um, to please them and, and kind of stay in this space. And that to, um, 
you know, and that, that this is the behavior that keeps you in this place. Like you feel like that's a positive when it is not. And these are all perceptions of thinking that these things are positive. So when they're not to, to think oneself as important, special, indispensable, or irreplaceable that, uh, to think oneself as important, special, indispensable, or irreplaceable so that there's really no room for you to grow that you're, you know, you're already perfect <laughs> uh, to look good, or at least to, to not look bad in one's own eyes in significant others eyes or in the world's eyes, you know? So again, protecting yourself from being vulnerable or being publicly exposed as vulnerable and uh, accepting that there's some things that need growth. Um, 13 of uh, addictively to obtain the mood change desired, obtain an adrenaline rush or a buzz or create high drama, personal soap opera, right? So this is like perpetuations of toxic behavior of creating a sense of drama. So you can kind of feel alive to feel the buzz, to feel the addictiveness. And if you can keep that going, then why would you want to grow and change? Like to the, that, that feels like a good thing. Um, Another thing that feels like a good thing is an overcompensation to prove oneself strong, competent, and confident in the face of believing the exact opposite, right? So like you, you don't necessarily consciously believe that you are strong, but you are pushing yourself to be strong in the face of something like, you know, improving your mental illness, even though you, you definitely can't do that on your own. There's just, it's just like kind of a pride component to that to demonstrate love, loyalty, and honor to a significant other by taking on a characteristically, a char- characteristic malady, disorder, or dysfunction attitude or behavior of theirs. So you're just kind of soaking in other people's behaviors. Like I said, like there's a friend group that will kind of keep each other's low frequency energy intact. And if you were someone that were to change that, then that would be you know, a detriment, but to, to kind of stay in that feels good. It's like, you know, we're, we're all friends. I've got friends. We're all great. (laughs) Even though they could be completely toxic. Uh, 16 avoidance of conflict, yelling, domination, and aggression. So being powerful, feeling powerful, power and control, like, like it said earlier, um, to hide real feelings from oneself and or others out of an earlier self-protective decision. So you made a choice, and you're kind of hiding how you genuinely feel about yourself, you know, and, and hiding it feels good. Hiding emotions, sweeping things under the rug, it's like, okay, great, I can still feel good, you know, and I don't have to face it. And most of this is about not facing things and, and um, avoiding vulnerability. The, to feel something, number 18, to feel something, anything coming out of psychic and sensory numbness, emptiness, worthlessness, and deadness. So to feeling something or anything. Right. And again, it's like kind of like high, that high stress drama feeling, you know, feeling anything. And, um, you feel like you're, you're maybe afraid of feeling this sense of, of senselessness or emptiness. If you had to, uh, go towards your emotions or have to deal with the difficulties of that. Number 19, avoidance of unwanted or disliked responsibilities, as well as unaccepted consequences of one's irresponsible actions and unrealistic attitudes. So avoidance of unwanted or disliked responsibilities, essentially, which pretty much speaks for itself. It feels good to not have to do what you need to do. (laughs) Number 20, irresponsible ventilation, dumping and displaced displacing internalized tension stress that he or she does not doesn't know how else to let go of channel or transform. So, uh, just kind of unconsciously spewing your garbage everywhere, basically. Um, 
and not knowing how to handle it yourself. You know, not just not looking inward, essentially. Uh, number 21, to justify acting out an old grudge, injustice, unfairness, or perceived wrong, i.e. revenge and payback, payback motives. You know, so again, all of these things feel good. They perceive, there's this perceived advantage to having all of these things. Number 22, legitimize an invested belief in an unfairness and injustice of people, institutions, the world, God, etc. So, uh, legitimize an invested belief in the unfairness and injustice of people, you know, to basically perpetuate your own paranoia about everything, like everything's out to get you. Right. And again, like that feels good to just kind of be like, it kind of perpetuates that, that feeling of oneness or specialness that, that everyone's out to get me. Like, even though that's not a positive special, it's the general feeling of feeling special. And feeling special feels good in general. Like we want to, there's some desire in humanity to feel unique. And often that uniqueness is tied to wanting to be, you know, it's, it's like a peacock with feathers, but, you know, without the positive or negative piece associated with it. So it's about just wanting that feeling, whether or not it's actually beneficial or not. It feels good, but it's not actually good. Number 23 to justify, to justify and legitimize blaming, finding fault, complaining, criticizing, being snobbish, rude, uncaring, insensitive, and laying on guilt or shame. Again, it's about being control. You know, if you're blasting someone and making them lowering themselves to you, that feels good. That puts you at a higher plane than them. Number 24, to obtain sympathy, pity, and others feeling sorry for him or her. And sometimes that's the other way too. It's like you have, you almost have like people, uh, it's, it's the attention that you get from sympathy, pity, or others feeling sorry for you. That's just, that's really what it is. The attention (coughs) number 25, uh, proves one wrong, bad, a failure, incompetent, and nothing, uh, or proves one right about being so wrong. So essentially, confirming that, you know, all the bad negative self-talk that you have about yourself. And, and, you know, it just kind of feels good to be right about being wrong, about being dumb, about being incompetent or being a failure. Again, it's like a power of control. Like, yeah, I'm aware that I'm not doing well. You know, you have this perceived false feeling of being in control of your life. Like, like I'm doing it on purpose. You know, uh, I think of like teenagers when they are, you're trying to, they're trying to sing or perform or trying to show something that they really appreciate. And instead of giving it their all and being willing to kind of fail a little bit and like stumble, they just barely give any effort. And they assume that because they're perceiving or showing off that they are not giving much effort, that they are excused for not giving any effort. Right. And that's sort of the same thing here. You get the secondary payoff of like just being aware that you're not good. And by saying that you're not good, it just makes people not take you seriously. That's just the way I look at it. I'd rather people give their best effort. And if they fail, they fail. And that's totally fine. But there's, you know, perpetuating that fear of, um, of not, of being not wrong or something like that. So I hope that makes sense. I kind of jumped around there. So those are the 25 um, secondary gains. And now we're going to go through the secondary losses real quick. So some of the costs of well-being, uh, secondary losses associated with well-being are, number one, people will want something from you that you may not be willing to give. 
that's pretty self-explanatory. Number two, people, especially those who feed on offering pity, sympathy, misery, and suffering over another's problems, lose interest in you and no longer spend time with you. So again, people you have maybe perceived as friends have only spent time with you because they want to be heroes in the drama triangle, or they want to give you some sort of sympathy or pity, and they like themselves they like feeding on that low frequency energy and you're not giving that off anymore so like why would they want to spend time with you so there's a fear that that might happen number three people especially those who habitually think themselves the downtrodden of the earth will be jealous envious displeased and anger and, and angered right again another expression of the elitist part of it like there's a fear that people are going to leave you that people are going to be mad at you. They're going to be envious and displeased at the fact that you're improving yourself. Number four, people, especially those who feel insecure, will think you are acting superior and elite due to your success. Just basically mentioned that. Number five, people acting in accord with their own attachments will misconstrue your values, intentions, commitments, attitudes, and actions by drawing erroneous conclusions. So they'll start to think that you're out to get them in some way by starting to prove that you're better than them there's like this fear that that's going to happen. And all these are essentially fears. These are perceived losses. These are not things that may not actually happen and most likely won't happen. And if they do happen, then you're going to have to learn that as a part of your growth, you're going to have to let some people go. That's just kind of part of the, it's kind of par for the course. Um, number six, tolerate losing so-called quote unquote friends and associates who cannot accept, agree, approve, appreciate or acknowledge your life functioning this well. So you're going to have to get used to the idea <laughs> of losing friends as a result of all of these changes that you're going to be make. Number seven, the cost doesn't does mean to give up uh, and release all of your best excuses, cop outs, lies, half truths, misleading omissions, justifications, intellectualizations, and quote unquote, good reasons for life, not adaptively functioning. So you're going to have to get rid of everything that you've built up, all of these narratives and reasons and rationalities that you've created for yourself, which we do create for ourselves as excuses, lies, cop-outs, and half-truths that are going to allow us to be able to move forward and grow. Number eight, the cost does not, uh, the cost does mean to give up and release petty grudges, past wrongs, injustices, and unfairnesses in triggering abused reactions. So you got to let go. You got to give up on some petty things in order to move forward, right? Number nine, the cost does not, um, I keep saying does not, the cost means, the cost does mean to give up and release the negative attention and agreement over your life and the world not functioning. So you got to stop saying to yourself, the life sucks, right? And that um, there is a sense of personal control that comes from accepting that you have, uh, you do have choice you have choice to make and and you are not um uh, uh you know bad things are not just going to happen to you but neither are the good things you got to make all of it work number 10 the cost does mean to recognize and give up what does not function or serve as life to, in life adaptable adaptively working with the reality i'm going to read that one more time the cost does mean to recognize and give up what does not function or serve in life adaptively working with reality so you got to be malleable. You got to adjust and recognize things that you do have to give up and things that are uh, no longer serving you, essentially. 
The, the cost, number 11, the cost does mean relinquishing special privileges at home and work, as well as with family members, friends, and associates. So again, special attention, uh, special privileges, special uh, being, being treated differently, right? And you got to let go of that idea of being different. You might become a little bit more normal, quote unquote. And normal means you'll be, there'll be more things expected of you. And that can be a difficult thing to reconcile with. Number 12, the cost does mean to give up and release significant anxieties, upsets, fears, frustrations, depression, and other unprocessed, uh, somaticized or behaviorally acted out emotions by learning and consistently practicing constructive ways to help processed feelings through one's guts, body, mind, and spirit. Ooh, that was a lot. <laughs> the cost does mean to give up and release significant anxieties, upsets, fears, frustrations, depression, and other unprocessed, somaticized, or behaviorally acted out emotions by learning and consistently practicing constructive ways to help process feelings through one's guts, mind, body, and spirit. So in, in essence, the only way out is through. And if you want to make it out, then you're going to have to release some of the significant anxieties, upsets, fears, frustrations, depression, and other process somaticized or behaviorally act out emotions in your life. And that's not going to be an easy process. And you're going to have to probably go through some sort of therapy or, or consistent growth to work through some of those things. But, you know, releasing that stuff is going to be really incredibly powerful to, to give up on the notion that this stuff is going to forever be a part of your life. Number 13, the cost does mean to give up and release significant, unrealistic, irrational ideas and beliefs. Uh, that could be really anything, but usually beliefs associated with things that are perpetuating your you know, illness or bad behavior. Number 14, the cost does mean to recognize and give up what is basically irresponsible, including unenlightened selfishness, special interests, and the seven deadly sins or false pride, greed, lust, acted out anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. So, you know, again, letting go of a lot of these things, recognize and give up what is basically irresponsible, including unenlightened selfishness, right? So selfishness and self-focusedness are very different things, which is something I could probably do a whole episode on, but, uh, special, special interests in the seven deadly sins, you know, of, of false pride, greed, lust, acted out anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth, like all the negative things that come with those things. You got to consider those and move forth from them. Number 15, the cost does mean to recognize and give up major sources of destructive distress, along with unworkable attachments, animosities, and ignorances. So give up major sources of destructive stress. That means you might have to let go of some people or let go of a job or move out of your town or do something like that's big or extreme. Could be scary, but sometimes the big moves have got to happen. Number 16, the cost does mean to tolerate feeling awkward and uncomfortable with highly familiar, healthy, successful attitudes and behaviors. So, you know, feeling comfortable with success. There was one of them earlier that we read that was about, um, you know, constantly saying that like, I'm wrong, I'm an idiot, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, conversely accepting that oh, I feel healthy, I feel great, I am successful, I am exhibiting better behaviors, I'm taking care of myself, I'm going to the barber shop, things like that. And feeling proud and feeling a little bit awkward and uncomfortable with this new feeling of feeling healthy. It's going to be new, but it's and, it, and it's going to be uncomfortable and unfamiliar because it's new, not because it's bad 
right? And there's the assumption that it's bad because it's new. So you've lived so long in this stress state that, you know, the assumption is that the stress state is good and the unfamiliar, uncomfortable is bad, but uncomfortable doesn't mean bad. It just means different. So number 17, the cost does mean to recognize and give up dysfunctional coping strategies, such as doubt, denial, avoidance, escape attempts, going unconscious, suppression, not remembering and not caring. That means you are fully responsible that you are, you are, you are no longer living in a place where you are retreating. You can't continue to escape your problems. You can't avoid them and suppressing and hiding away, uh, quote unquote, not remembering and not caring. You have to be an active member of existence. And I think that's incredibly important to, to think about as you start to grow and develop as a person. Number 18, the cost it does not, the cost, do, I keep saying does not, the cost does mean to face oneself and find the means to resolve and complete remaining old problems as well as handle new challenges. So it's not about just like dropping everything and abandoning it, but, um, you have to, to face what you once were and find the means to resolve and complete remaining old problems, as well as be willing to deal with new challenges. So there are just going to be new things that you face that are also going to be uncomfortable. But as you develop your skills and become a stronger, better person, you're going to be able to tackle them. I trust, trust. Number 19, be willing to take responsibility for what you have control over in your life including all of your words and actions with rare exceptions, in addition to some of your thoughts. So there's the, the first of the four agreements called be, a, be impeccable with your word. And that means basically mean what you say and say what you mean. That is something that uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine actually taught me that saying. Of, uh, say what you mean and mean what you say. And now I, I, in retrospect, I think she's an ISTJ and that just makes so much more sense. But <laughs> that she would say that. But um, be willing to take responsibility for your life, including your words and actions. And, uh, you know, just go forth with intention. Number 20, be willing to take necessary actions to clean up unworkable aspects of your life, as well as transform your life into a state of being you are committed to live. That means getting rid of things, you know, getting rid of things that are unworkable and realizing that, you know, if you're just going to be climbing up a treadmill on something, you might have to let it go. Sometimes that means distancing yourself from family, doing some very uncomfortable things like that. Number 21, the cost does mean to accept and learn to tolerate the realistic idea that nearly nothing can prevent you from taking the next scary, risky step in creating and claiming your true self and taking your true power. There's nothing in your way. You know, learn to tolerate the realistic idea that nearly nothing can prevent you. And that's honestly true. You're very, very lucky to live in the time period that we're living in, in the sense that there are things that are going to be scary and you might have anxieties and you might have fears, but all of these things in your mind are keeping you from taking what you want to take in life and going to what you want to do, uh, going to, to be what you want to be and do what you want to do and becoming and claiming your true self. You have the opportunity to do that. You know, one of the things that I like to think about and I would recommend as watching material is there's the show One Strange Rock. Uh, it's like that Earth show, the Planet Earth style show that's hosted by Will Smith. Strange choice, but it's good. Uh, there's an episode called Survival. And that episode is a beautiful sort of like 
guide to appreciating your existence. There's discussions with Buddhist monks. There's all sorts of day of the dead stuff. There's astronauts that are talking about their life and existence. They're losing their parents. Um, and just, it's just, just a beautiful expression of people manifesting their true selves and being who they are, but then appreciating their reality and resting into their true power as people. So I would recommend checking that out. It's the survival episode of one strange rock. Number 22, be willing to become tolerant and accepting of other people's choices that are unworkable and destructive without carrying them or rescuing them or making their lives fundamentally your business. This is the hero side of the drama triangle. And a lot of this is the victim side, but this is the hero side that as you start to grow, you're going to become susceptible to learning things and being, you know, some people are going to see you as like, oh, well, you're going to be better than me than, uh, than you take the load, right? And you're going to be feeling like you might owe some people some things as you start to grow and develop. And, um, you know, uh, that you have to become tolerant and accepting of other people's choices that are unworkable and destructive without carrying them. So just kind of, you know, let them be right. You do your thing. You're going to be, um, in terms of the empowerment dynamic, you're going to be either a challenger, a coach or a creator, but you are not, you know, effectively doing things for other people. You have your own stuff to worry about. Number three, learn and practice daily whatever verbal, assertive, limit-setting, emotional coping, and environmental management skills needed. So this is stuff that you're going to learn over time. You're going to be probably listening to a lot of podcasts as you grow and develop, listening to, uh, watching YouTube videos, reading books, uh, talking to therapists and gurus, and trying to find ways to be a little bit more verbal, assertive, limits, uh, setting uh, boundaries and limits. Uh, finding emotional coping mechanisms and m- managing your environment and learning daily skills. You know, one of the things that I talked about recently was the private victory, which I suggest you go check out that podcast is it probably five or six podcasts ago at this point, maybe seven or eight. I'm not sure. Number four, 24, be willing to become firmly intolerant of irresponsible slash destructive attitudes and behaviors, abusive behaviors, injustice, collecting, and all forms of harm to any living thing. So it it starts to become about not just protecting yourself, but protecting other people and not being, you know, not being tolerant of people being irresponsible and terrible to others and starting to see your former self and other people and being a, a hero of humanity, you know, not a hero in the drama triangle sense, but you're being a creator, you're being a challenger and being willing to challenge people when they are being intolerant or terrible and abusive. Um, and then number 25, as we wrap this up, this long episode, be willing to tolerate genuine enthusiasm, zest and exuberance in addition to stretch beyond your beliefs and attitudes in regard to how significant a contribution service and lasting lasting gift you, your beliefs and attitudes in regard to how significant a contribution service and lasting gift that you can offer. That's a beautiful way to end it. And, um, What I think is, again, go listen, go watch that episode of One Strange Rock, where it's the survival episode, kind of talks about how this earth is not really built for us, that there is like a lot of crazy things going on, but we happen to live here. And there's a lot of beautiful things about the process of survival and appreciating the things that, you know, could potentially harm us, you know, the, the, it's like this balance of, of 
we don't want to necessarily get too high on our rocker about, um, you know, being blind, avoidant mania faith and just having a little tinge of respect for the fact that we're going to die someday and that we are passing on our genes and that there's the possibility, you know, that things end, that there's a, a zest for life and exuberance because there's an opposite side of it, right? It's not being obsessed with death or loss or negativity, but you can appreciate so much more because there's just a little bit of that in your life. So being, I'm going to read that last one once again, and then we're going to wrap this up. So be willing to tolerate genuine enthusiasm, zest, exuberance, in addition to stretch beyond your beliefs and attitudes in regard to how significant a contribution, service, and lasting, lasting gifts uh, to... Wait. Oh, okay. I copied that twice. That's why. <laughs> um, oh, that's messed up. Okay. Be willing to, that's why it didn't sound right when I first read it. Be willing to tolerate genuine enthusiasm, zest, exuberance, in addition to stretch beyond your beliefs and attitudes in regard to how significant a contribution, service, and lasting gift you can offer. So you just, you're a person that can give You're you're ready to be a creator at this point. If you've gone through all of this and you've grown and developed, this is a really great list. I'm probably going to put this on the website at some point. It's a really great list of ways that you can start to develop and grow and learn about how you can just kind of be more. I know they use the word tolerant as if it's just like, okay, I'm going to deal with it. But it's like you learn to really just respect the word respect is probably better than tolerant there. You respect the fact that people can be zestful and enjoyful and, and love life and that people loving life is not going to be an annoyance to you. <laughs> Cause you know, I've been there, done that. It, sometimes it, it's uh when you're trying to perpetuate that feeling of like being an Eeyore and being, mm, yeah, I'm dumb, right? Keeping that low frequency energy going that anything that's going to be way too high frequency energy is going to feel foreign and uncomfortable and not great. So again, go check out that episode on one strange rock of survival. I think that's a beautiful way to think about all of this growth, um, in terms of growth path and secondary payoffs. And this has been kind of a mammoth of an episode (laughs) talking about secondary payoffs and secondary losses, but Ultimately, if we're going towards uh, a path of, of tolerance and growth and creativity and, and being a person that uh, self-actualizes in the sense that we are having um, a greater sense of confidence for ourselves and, and showing love and uh, faith and family and whatever that looks like and appreciating our lives, appreciating our existence, appreciating the fact that it took an eternity to make us to get to this point is pretty incredible to think about and something to always be positive about. And it's not just about blind faith and blind positivity, but realizing that, you know, as much as our lives are going to be this tiny insignificant blip that we deserve to be able to enjoy it and appreciate it and grow within it for as long as we possibly can, because we can just sit and wait for death where we can live our lives and then feel satisfied that we've contributed when death knocks on our door. So, Ooh, okay. So that's it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to check out dopamine.life, I'm going to be putting articles up there about these last few episodes and, um, 
you can hit me up at Let's Go C Notes on all the social channels. This is the fourth podcast I've recorded today, so I'm going to go pass out somewhere. And uh, <laughs> um, I hope this helped you in some sort of way. If this made any kind of impact on you, I'd love to hear your feedback. There's a link to leaving a voice message in the description, regardless of the platform that you're on. Click that. You'll sign up for an Anchor account real quick. It just, you know, you link it to your Google account or whatever. And you can leave me a voice message that's up to a minute and ask a question or leave a comment and let me know what you think of this episode or the show or of me. If you like my voice, that's cool. If you think I'm annoying, that's fine. I just won't publish it. <laughs> um, positive feedback's usually better, but whatever you want to do is totally cool. Honesty is also appreciated. So if you want to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform, that would be amazing. And share this with a friend if you feel like they need to hear it. Um, you know, Personal growth is a very, very long journey. It takes a lot of time and a lot of self-awareness. And it really does, I feel like this is a really good question to ask yourself in terms of whether or not you are experiencing secondary payoffs in your life. And if you're okay with the consequences of avoiding the actual work that you're you're doing, you know, the actual payoff and the actual um loss that you will experience from growth, which is really the only loss that you'll experience from growth is eliminating low frequency energy and bad people, terrible people from your life. Not bad people, but people who are um, not going to support you and not going to help you in your growth because they need to do their own thing. And there's no reason they need to bring you down in the process. You deserve growth. You deserve all the good things to happen to you. You deserve to appreciate your life in the entirety of its existence on this planet for the small blip of time that you get to be significant. I think that's really important. So with that, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.